You know, medically, the doctors tell us there's a lot of things we need to watch and, and to be aware of, but a couple of things that are, are not as noticeable on the outside are things like your blood pressure, your blood sugar, and your cholesterol. Doctors have called the blood pressure the silent killer. I guess all three of those, in a way, they can be because you, they, they can sneak up on you. It's not like you go bald or you turn cripple or uh, something like that. Those are things that, if they're not monitored carefully, can sneak up on you and that can destroy your life. Well, this morning in 2 Samuel 11, we're in our second sermon out of our series on sins, scandals, and second chances. We're going to look at three things that desperately need to be guarded and monitored in your life and in my life. 2 Samuel 11, if you have your Bibles. If not, the Scriptures will be on the screens. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. It says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites And besieged Rabbah, but David, if you were here last week, this big problem, David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of the palace, and from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. How many of you, if you've never heard this story, knows that it's fixing to go downhill at that point? He sees a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. David sent someone to find out about her. The nuances, subtle nuances are tremendous here. The man said, hey, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David apparently ignored that. Verse 4, David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he slept with her. She had just purified herself from her uncleanliness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David. This is the only phrase, the only thing she says in the whole story in the next chapter or two. But it's absolutely enough. She says, I am pregnant. Little background. David is the awesome king of Israel. He had been reigning in Jerusalem now for about 10 or 12 years. He's in his 50s, maybe early 50s. This is the guy that God said, this guy is a man after my own heart. I mean, this was an awesome dude, a godly dude. He was a warrior. He was a king. God used him to write uh, books and chapters in the Bible. I mean, this dude, he he was everything you've always wanted to be but couldn't be. But yet here's what happens. He ends up having an affair. Not just having an affair, he has an affair with one of his good men, Uriah's wife. We're told in in 2 Samuel 23, Uriah was a part of his special bodyguard, uh, a guard of 30. This was someone he knew well and had great confidence in. We're also told her dad, Elam, was in this special bodyguard of 30. And that her grandfather, a man named Ahithophel, was one of David's advisors. It wasn't like this was a complete stranger. He just saw bathing and said, man, that chick looks good. Bring her to me. This was somebody that was close to the family. He has an affair with her. He gets her pregnant. And then he murders her husband. It's a complete, total disaster. We saw last week, if you were here, it began by him being where he should not have been. And I want us to see three things today that David did not guard in his life 
that put him in the wrong position and led to these bad decisions. And I, I want to challenge you this morning to guard these th- three things in your life. Number one, guard your heart. Guard your heart. What's your heart biblically? Your heart is your mind. It's your, it's your will. It's your affections and attitudes. Your heart is the deepest part of your being. Again, it's, think of it as what, your, your mind and the direction of your life. David let, David let his heart slip in ever so subtle ways. And this began the slide to infamy for him. Proverbs 4.23, if you're taking notes, write this down. Listen, read this out loud with me. Read this out loud. Above all else. Folks, anytime the Bible says above all else, that ought to tune us into something seriously. Serious. God's saying, look, guard your heart. Don't, don't guard your, you, don't say, well, my wife needs to guard my heart. Or my husband needs to guard my heart. Or my mommy or daddy needs to guard my heart. Yeah, when you're in diapers, they do. Once you get older, it starts becoming your responsibility. God says, guard your heart above everything else. Because, guys, listen, where your heart goes, your life goes. Where your heart goes, your affections and your mind and your will goes, your life goes. How did David lose a grip on his heart? The same way that you and I do. Number one, we become careless in spiritual matters. We become careless. Don't become careless, but we become careless in spiritual matters. In other words, if you're, if you're not a Christian today, we want you to become a Christian. But if you are a Christian, you need to guard your heart. One way you guard your heart, one way you stay on top of things is that you don't become careless spiritually. In verse 1, this subtle verse, in the spring, the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Just, we looked at this last week, a little map. To, uh, this is a modern-day map. That's Jerusalem. That's exactly where it was in David's day. Rabbah was over here where Ammon, Jordan is, about 40 to 60 miles from Jerusalem. And again, we don't necessarily understand this, but here's the deal. The king was supposed to lead the troops in battle. It was David's job. It was David's spiritual duty to lead the troops in battle and to be out front with them. And it says David stayed at home and he sent someone else to do what he was supposed to be doing. You know how you're going to ruin your life or how I'm going to ruin my life? It's not going to happen overnight. Just like Joe sang in that beautiful song, it's a slow fate. It happens slowly. It happens over time. It happens when you and I get confident and cocky and we begin to be careless in spiritual matters. Here's another thing that's, that's interesting. In Deuteronomy 17, 17, way over in the Old Testament, It's talking about kings, and it says, A king must not take many wives, or his heart will be led astray. Now, jump over to 2 Samuel 5, right before all this happens. Listen to what it says about David. After he left Hebron, David took more concubines. The concubine was not a legal wife, but they had a lot of rights like a wife. They were the possession of the man, and they they lived like a wife sexually and and with many of the the privileges. 
And he also took many wives in Jerusalem, and more sons and daughters were born to him. Now, I know what you might be saying. What's the big deal? I mean, David's the king. David had lived for God. He'd been a home run hitter for God. Can't we cut David a little slack? If he wants to have 15 or 20 more chicks around the palace, what is that to you and me, right? Here's the big deal. Anytime God draws up boundaries and you and I go outside of those boundaries, we are headed to trouble. When God said to the king, don't you do this, David did not have a right because he was the king or because he was special with God to disobey God. And when David began to become careless in those spiritual things, that's when his end began. How's it happen with you and me? We begin to be careless in spiritual things if you're a Christian. I want to read to you a pastor from Memphis, Tennessee years ago named R.G. Lee. He wrote a a list after he'd been pastoring about 50 years, about what, what happens when a person spiritually begins to move away from God. He, he began with, by saying this, if you're ever closer to God than you are right now, you've backslidden. In other words, if you can look at a time and you go, well, hey, I'm not doing bad things, I'm not running around. If you're ever closer to God than you are right now, you've moved away from God. Listen to how he describes the process. You forget to read your Bible. You don't pray as much. You become more critical of other people. You stop being regular in church. You stop giving as you should. Not major things, not things that you would, you would say, well, that's flagrant, it's sinful and wrong. Well, they're sin, but they're little sin. Folks, when you and I become careless in spiritual disciplines, that's when our heart begins to drift away from God. And let me give you a second side of this. Something to watch in your heart. We become dissatisfied. We become dissatisfied. Here's David's deal. In the next chapter, when he gets confronted by the prophet Nathan, one of the things Nathan's going to say to him, David, you had all of these things. You had all these women. You had all these pleasures You got this palace and all this power, but yet that was not enough. You had to have somebody else's wife, somebody else's stuff to make you happy. Spiritually, we get in trouble when we start becoming dissatisfied. Now, folks, there's a holy discontent where you want to be a better athlete or a better Christian or a better father or a better uh, wife. That's a good thing. But when nothing really satisfies you, Your husband doesn't, your wife doesn't, your church doesn't, your music doesn't, your preacher, your connection group teacher, your youth minister. When nothing really satisfies you, most of the time your problem is what you see in a mirror. It's not outside of that. And what happened to David, little incrementally, he began to be careless in his spiritual disciplines. He began to become dissatisfied. Nothing rang his bell like it used to. And lo and behold, he goes out and he ruins his life. Let me challenge you. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Be meticulous in your obedience to God. Find satisfaction in Jesus Christ. Find satisfaction in your husband and your wife. Find satisfaction in your life. Because if you don't guard your heart, 
you'll end up ruining your life. And not only your life, but a lot of other people's. Here's the second part of this. Guard your eyes. Guard your eyes. Verse 2 and 3. One evening, David got up from his bed, and he walked around the roof of the palace. This is probably late afternoon. So in other words, David was slacking. He was kind of laying around the bedroom. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. Let me pause here. When the Bible says that a woman is very beautiful, I'm going to translate that. This was a hot-looking woman. This was a good-looking woman. And the word beautiful means that she was excellent. She was lovely. Now, my wife was in the first service, so I... I said this with her in there, but when I get to heaven, I want to see Bathsheba. Fully clothed, not in the bathroom scene or anything like that, but she must have really been pretty. She must have really been pretty. Men, are you nervous or are you in agreement with me? I mean, she must have been good looking. She, and ladies, I'm sure that King David was good looking. So David spots her. And then it says after he spots her, he does what? He inquires about her. And he sent someone to find out, and they said, this is Bathsheba. She's the wife of one of your, your buds and the daughter of one of your men. Jerusalem in David's day, pretty much like today, very crowded city. The roofs were flat, and the roof was a place that you went to go socialize or you would, you would go to uh, spend time, especially in the cool evening uh, a lot of times. You'd go up there, and, and, and you would... Uh, Obviously, you could bathe too, but you, uh, you, you prayed. That it, was, it was a place of recreation and relaxation. One of the rules of the roof was is you didn't peer into someone else's roof. Are you comfortable with that? I, I mean, that's kind of like you don't want someone walking through your neighborhood, walking up, looking in your, your windows, right? And so it was courtesy not to peer into someone's roof, which David violates that, doesn't he, very flagrantly. And, and he gets himself in a lot of trouble. Now, let me say this, because this is important. It wasn't the first look that got David in trouble. There's nothing wrong with looking at a man or a woman and saying they're attractive, they're pretty. It's the second look that got David in trouble. It's a, the sustained look. It's when the look becomes what I would like to do with them if I could get with them. That's when it becomes sin. I believe in this scenario, David is about 90 to 95% responsible, but Bathsheba is not innocent. Well, number one, she was not raped. Number two, she could have said no, even though he was a king. And number three, uh, and we'll go back to the men in just a second, ladies, but she had to know she could be seen bathing. She had been out on her roof many times in the past. No doubt on her roof she had seen the king on the palace on his roof. That This was not the first time that she'd ever been up there or David had been up there. And she's up there in full view where the king can see her and that she is bathing. Now, men, I want you to help me a little bit. Men, we are visual. Amen? Okay. Normal men are visual. You normal men say amen. Okay. You sissies, you don't have to say anything. Okay, ladies, now listen to me. You have to be careful how you present yourself and how you dress. 
Bathsheba played a part in this by her bathing practices. Two years ago, my son got married in Jamaica, and I did the wedding, and my wife and I flew down there, and it was at a beautiful resort. We had nothing to do. All we did was show up. And so we're down there for a few days, and we notice we hear next to our resort is a nudist beach. Does anyone know what that is? Wayne will explain to you after the service what that is if you don't. Now, the great news is, is we had no contact with them. It's not like they were over recruiting, you know, or anything like that. And, and there, you couldn't see, you know, it wasn't like, you know, goodness, great, wouldn't that be? No, you couldn't see, and they didn't walk over to where we were or anything like that. But the day of the wedding, the, the resort picks where the wedding is. And so we go down to this spot, and it's a beautiful spot. I'm standing like this. The ocean is literally about 20 yards behind me. You can hear the water crashing. It's the sunset. It's beautiful. The only problem is, is it's right next to the nudist beach. And as the wedding begins, a completely, totally, 100% naked woman walks and stands 20 yards from where we're having the wedding. Now, God was good to me that day because I am looking the opposite direction. God was good to my son. He couldn't see. But a lot of the other people could see this totally naked woman standing like this for 10 minutes watching the wedding. When the wedding was over... The women, this is the difference in men and women. The women were furious. How dare that woman come and stand there? How dare that woman, you know, violate our wedding? Da 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 da. And this one old man, I guess he could not help himself. He was about 75. He said, No, no, no. She had a right to be there. That was where their property line ended. She had a right to be there. And I thought, Boy, your flight back to the States is going to be a lot of fun. But you know what? That's the difference in men and women right there, a bad difference. When I first got married, I had two Rottweilers, and then I had two teenage daughters and a wife. So it was a tremendous uh, learning experience, learning curve. And one thing I talked to my daughters a lot about was how they dressed, girls, about how they dressed, because how you dress makes boys and young men attracted to you. Again, every, every man in here is too cowardly to say so, but this is absolutely the truth. And they didn't believe, oh, no, you're just an old fuddy-duddy, you're a preacher, da 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 and, and my wife, I mean, she would dress fine, but then she would defend the girls, and we would get in arguments. And, and then we'd go, we're, we're on vacation, and we're listening to a guest preacher. Guess what he preaches on? How women should dress. We leave, Cindy goes, man. Man, that was great, and that guy was right on target. Thanks a lot. <laughs> yes, I was on target. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 and 28. Listen to what it says. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Okay, but look in verse 28. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Here's what God's saying. It's not just the act that's sin. There's a double nature of sin. Looking and lusting is sin. And not only is Jesus saying that, he's not trying to be mean. He, he's also saying that because he knows what we look at, what we focus on, is what we'll end up getting involved with if we're not careful. That's where David got in trouble, guys and girls. He can guard his eyes. Someone told me after the first services, and this is true, if you don't want to lust, look at their head from the shoulders up and the knees down. Amen. That's a good policy. You want to run your life? Just let your eyes and your mind begin to wander too much. 
Oh, no, I know it wouldn't happen to any of you guys because everybody in here, we're all more spiritual than King David was. Shoot, yeah, it can happen to us. Guard your heart and guard your eyes. The last one is guard your humility. Guard your humility. This story is so incredible on so many fronts to me. But just look again with me at a few of these verses in verse 3. David sent someone, find out about her. Hey, isn't this, isn't this, hey, David, isn't this Bathsheba? The daughter of Elam and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. David ignored that, sent messengers. He has sex with her. The woman conceived and sent back word and said, I am pregnant. Now, man, listen, David was as great a guy as there was. But he doesn't protect his heart, and he doesn't protect his eyes, and apparently his egos run a little amok. Here's what he does. He has an affair with one of his good buddy's wives. He has an affair with, with the daughter of one of his good men. He has an affair with the granddaughter of one of his special men. And he has this guy killed. If you would have asked King David a week before, Hey, David, would you sleep with one of your buddy's wives and then have him killed when she gets pregnant? He would have probably hit you with the same rock he hit Goliath with. He would have said, There's no way. There's no way I would do something like that. Listen, the worst thing that you can think is to think that you or I would never fall into some kind of sin or trouble. One of the worst things you could say. Say, look at me. I've got money. I've got prestige. I've got intelligence. All those are great things, and every one of those things can lead to your demise. You know what will ruin you right after your heart and your eyes? It's when you think that you're above it. I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy named Major General John Sedgwick. John Sedgwick was a general in the Civil War. In fact, he was the highest-ranking Union officer killed in the Civil War. He was killed at the Battle of the Sponsylvania Courthouse. Here's how he died, highest-ranking general. As before the big battle was beginning, he was standing back with his artillery men, and they were, some rifle shots were coming in from the Confederates. And the men were hiding and ducking. And he said, you got, wait, you're cowards. They are a 1,000 yards away. Now, that's 10 football fields away. That's a long shot, especially back in the Civil War. They can't hit you. And to prove that they could not hit you, Major General Sedgwick walked out in front, and he said, they could not hit a, an elephant from this distance. Boom. The last words he ever spoke were distance. He was hit in the head, and he dropped, and he died right on the spot. Couldn't hit an elephant from this distance. Oh, hey, God. <laughs> you remember watching Nick Walanda a few weeks ago? Did any of y'all watch him walk across the Grand Canyon or part of Did nobody watch him walk across the Grand Canyon? Did you notice he prayed the whole time? Did you notice that? And people were impressed by it. Who's not praying when you're walking across the Grand Canyon? God help me, God help me, God help me. But in, seriously, he is, a, he is a devout Christian. 
And, and listen to what he said, because there's a great play on this. He said, if I don't stay humble, I'll fall. First Corinthians 10, 12. So, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. In Proverbs, we have two verses. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. Listen to this next verse. Better to be lowly in spirit and among the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. Listen to what God says. God says arrogance and egotism is so bad, you shouldn't even hang around people who are like that. Get new friends. If someone is an egomaniac, prideful, and think they are the king of Kong of the world, get away from them because they are a lightning rod for destruction. Guard your humility. Guard your humility. I don't know who said this, but this is a tremendous quote. Satan will plant a trap for you, and he'll wait 40 years to catch you in it if he has to. Satan's got all day How in the world do we deal with that? You guard your heart, you guard your eyes, and you guard your ego. Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, certainly there's things we need to examine right now. We need to figure out right now what we're going to do with God in these, these areas. If you're not a Christian, where you're seated, would you pray with me and would you just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I want to repent of my sins. I believe you're God's Son and that you died and rose for me. Come into my heart, Jesus, and save me this morning. Let me have your attention just for a moment. We're going to stand in a moment, and I want to challenge you to respond to what God said to you. If you're a Christian today, maybe one of these areas God's put his thumb on your heart, and you need to repent. You need to repent before we scrape you up off the pavement. Do that this morning. Where you're standing or at the altar, Christian, maybe you just need to make a commitment before God today that you're going to guard these areas in your life. Maybe you're looking for a church family. We'd love for you to join our church family today if God's leading you to. You need a church family. Come and join us in a moment. Maybe you just ask Christ in your heart. Or maybe you're ready to do so. When we stand, come and talk to one of our ministers. Seal the deal with God today. Balls in your court. Let's stand and you respond now as God leads you.